This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Willie Anderson, and you're listening to the iTest for Two. Well, it's Wednesday, and I was all set to ask you, Ira, if there were any Tampa Bay sightings of a certain quarterback. I mean, you live in Tampa, Tampa itself, and Ian, that's Mr. Ian Glendon, our Hall of Fame producer. Ian, you live in St. Pete. So I was going to ask you guys if you'd seen Tampa Brady anywhere in the neighborhood, maybe the zoo or West Shore Plaza. Or maybe, Ira, even at PDQ, where I've been told you are currently dining at this very moment. Clark, I'm going to finish my chicken salad, <laughs> and, and I'm going to head to one buck place where Tom Brady will be practicing. Yeah, Ian, you're a longtime follower of Tom Brady, a longtime acolyte of Tom Brady. Are you surprised? Uh, no, I mean, uh, look, I, I, I think the guy has earned certain leeways that aren't going to be afforded to just about any other player because, well, just about every other player in the league has not done what he has done. So, uh, but, but the idea that he's at practice, I, I, I think he, as a competitor, realizes that this offense is a work in progress. And I, I think given the transitions that they've had with or without Mike Evans and his appeal was denied today uh, with Cole Beasley, who was just added to the roster, it's going to need some work and they're going to need to work on the thing. So if he's healthy and he's feeling good, I feel like uh, this was a good decision by him to get out there and uh, practice today. So because the plan originally was that he would be given Wednesdays off, although he'd be at the facilities, he just wouldn't be working out with the team. You think it's possible that there will be future Wednesdays, maybe even more likely that there will be future Wednesdays that he will be taking off? Oh, sure, sure. Because, I, I mean, again, at the end of the day, he's 45, and you want him on the field in November, December, January, and hopefully February. Okay, and if you're Todd Bowles, you're okay with that? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, this I, we, we know football is a team sport. Um, but it's undeniable the impact that Brady has had on the fr- on this franchise, and that this isn't a way of catering to him. I think it's just a, you know, try to maintain and keep him at his peak for the longest you can possibly do it. Because without Tom Brady, this isn't a Super Bowl team. With Tom Brady, and with some healthy, you know, healthiness on the offense, uh, you can argue that this could be one of the top two teams in the league. Um, it's certainly the top team in, in the NFC. So Brady's that important. And I think you try to make everything work. And, and to me, I, I think his motivation deep down is always going to be what's best for the team. So I don't think he's doing any of this out of some sort of selfish whatever. You know what I mean? So I, I tend to give him the benefit, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, no, I would too. And we had Seth Wickersham, who chronicled Brady in a, in a book last year, uh, talking about how competitive Tom Brady is and how he hates losing and I tend to agree with you that I think he probably sees some things that aren't quite right that could be helped if he were there on Wednesdays when, in fact, teams put in their game plan. So um, I, I, I will cut him benefit of the doubt because I always thought being old school that you were part of a team. And when you were part of a team, you're either all in or you're all out, not somewhere in between. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I'm glad that Tom Brady came to the same conclusion. Well, speaking of being in, Back in May, the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced that it hired Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz for a new 
position. It's called the chief of football relationship officer position. Now, I don't know what that means. I know Ira doesn't know what that means, but I was told, I was told it means Anthony will engage with current and prospective business partners, be involved in philanthropic efforts on behalf of the hall and report directly to Hall of Fame president and friend of this show, Mr. Jim Porter. So Irina thought, you know, we don't really know what it's about. So why don't we try to find out more about it? And so we have, and we will. We've gone straight to the source. We have Anthony Munoz with us today. And first of all, Anthony, thanks for joining us. And second, a belated congratulations on the new job. Well, thank you, Clark and I appreciate you guys having me on the show. And uh, yeah, the chief football relationship officer, uh, it's really crazy how it came about. Uh, you know, of course, as you know, Jim Porter, the new president, who I love, is amazing, doing a phenomenal job uh, in his first year. Uh, and kudos to, to Dave Baker. He brought some great things to the, uh, the Hall of Fame. But uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know Jim. And now I get an opportunity to work directly with him. In fact, we just got off the road. We were in Philadelphia for the uh, Dick Vermeil ring ceremony on Monday night. We took a train. First time on an Amtrak uh, train for me up to New York, what, met with Mayor, uh, Mr. Mayor up at the Giants. So basically, uh, you know, when this came about, I've been on the board, Hall of Fame board for several years. Uh, they said, we're going to put together a search committee. We're going to look for someone to work alongside uh, Jim Porter. And they said, Anthony, are you interested in being on this search committee? I said, well, you know, I'm on the board. I'm on the assistance fund board. Let's let another Hall of Famer do it. Let's spread it around. So a couple of weeks later, uh, uh, the board came to me, the, the search board said, Anthony, a lot of board members are nominating you, you for this position. I'm like, whoa, okay, well, let's, let's check it out. Let's see what it's all about. They had a two-page job description. And quite frankly, Didi and I, my wife and I, at the beginning of the year, started kind of eliminating some things that we were doing, just kind of paring it down. So it really came in a great time, great timing. So as I looked at the two-page job description, I took every paragraph and wrote notes by it. And it was like, I've been doing this for the last 20, 25 years. I've been, I love doing this, representing everything about the Hall of Fame that I love. My fellow Hall of Famers, the staff, the volunteers, the board, the city of Canton. And then going nationally, I said, I can do that. I want to be someone that represents everything about the Hall of Fame. So I got involved in the interviewing process. Interesting, guys. Interviewing process. 63 years old. I'd never been interviewed for a job in my life. So at the age of 21, I took a plane to Cincinnati, put the pads on and went out and tried to earn a job, but really no interview. So I'm sitting there. I said, OK, let's go. So I had two one and a half hour interviews with Corn Ferry and with the committee and went from five to, or 40 individuals to two. And at the end of the interview process, they said, we'd like to offer you the job. And I said, you know what? A uh, couple stipulations, no relocation, which was great. I could continue to live in Cincinnati and no disruption of what I'm doing in Cincinnati. I, I have a scholarship fund. I have a foundation here I've had for 21 years. so I can continue that. And it's going to be a lot of national stuff and still going up to Canton as I've been doing. So I guess that's, you know, I'm looking forward to, again, relationships, you know, NFL team owners, the league office, corporate partners, non-for-profits, and then, of course, representing uh, the guys that I love as a team I'm on forever now as a Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, member. And, you know, so I'm pretty excited about it. We're starting to roll it. And it's a new position, guys, so we're building it. You know, uh, Jim Porter and I are working together, and we're just kind of shaping it and trying to figure out what this means. 
but I'm enjoying uh, so the first couple of months I'm enjoying it. So Anthony, what have you learned about the job that you didn't expect? Well, first of all, being on the board as long as I have and being really engaged, I've known a lot of insight about the hall. So uh, I guess a lot of things that I'm experiencing now, I've kind of had insight to, you know, for the most part. So that was a great thing about being offered the job. It wasn't like I came in, had to learn a lot of things. I mean, I came in knowing a lot, you know, about the hall and about, you know, relationships. So, uh, you know, it, I guess the one thing that, I mean, I knew, but I'm getting excited about is really establishing relationship, not only with the teams, but with the team owners. I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing I'm really looking forward to. Anthony, it's a pleasure to have you on. Anthony, Thanks, I, I don't want you, I don't want to get you depressed in the morning. I don't want <laughs> no, I don't think you can. I don't, Anthony, I don't think you can either. <laughs> Anthony, I, I got to ask you what's going on up front with, with your beloved Bengals. Uh, you should be on the practice field tutoring these guys, but it's been a problem now for two years. Somehow they made it, uh, you know, to the Super Bowl with their issues. Um, but Anthony, I mean, Burrow can't be getting sacked six, seven times a game. That's going to take a toll. Uh, what's your what's your confidence level to going to get this thing straightened out? Well, guys, I know it's a different era. Um, things are done differently in the NFL practices, camp, and stuff. But I still. As a former offensive lineman, I can't see how you can bring four new guys in, put them together with Jonah Williams, and expect no, not one snap in the preseason together. Not, and expect, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sure maybe these guys are so much better than when we played. They can do that. But I can't see them going out, not having, you know, practice, as we know, is one thing. Game is another thing. I'm hoping after three or four weeks that, you know, the money we spent with Karras and Kappa and, and college pays off that they can start not only working better individually, but as a group, that's the only thing guys that I'm looking at is I I'm not, again, I understand it's a different time. The money's big. You don't want to get guys hurt. But to me, when you thought about getting hurt and you went out playing, thinking about getting hurt, you got hurt. You went out accomplishing your job and going full speed all the time. I, I believe in my humble opinion the injury factor was lessened. So that's the one thing I'm looking at and I'm going to wait. And hopefully after two weeks of what they've gone through, it'll start coming together. But it, that to me is the, the glaring thing I look at is four new guys working together and not one snap in the preseason. And all of a sudden, you know, Pittsburgh, who was go, you know, played their guard, their guys, every preseason game, they played, you know, they went hard at practice. They led the league in sacks. They brought it. I mean, and then, you know, Dallas, uh, that's another story, but you know, it's the, to me, I'm, I'm just hoping that the longer they work together in practice and in games, it's going to get better. Now, Anthony, now I'm going to make you smile. Now I'm going to make you smile. Uh, Anthony, they, they, they uh, revealed the preliminary list for the hall of fame. It's got 129 names on it. Um, you know, and it's going to be cut to 25, but Anthony, one guy that's going to make the 25 and the 15, and I think it's got a pretty good chance of getting a bust. And you know who I'm talking about. A left tackle, Anthony, never played in a playoff game in his entire career, but his name was Joe Thomas. Anthony, from a technical standpoint, durability, whatever, how great was Joe Thomas? i tell you what, I love watching anybody that, especially left tackles that are technically sound, that have an attitude and are in there every game. Uh, to me, I'm a fan, and I enjoy it. Even though when he'd come to Cincinnati or we'd play him, I was rooting against him. I still enjoyed watching him. I think uh, 
you know, as far as uh, being up there in the top, I think he's very deserving. I mean, he is, uh, again, not playing with very good teams and always playing at the top of his game speaks volumes about his attitude, about his, you know, not only mentality, but his physical ability. I think the guy deserves to be in. We're speaking with Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz on the eye test for two. And Anthony, Ira said you should be out there coaching the Bengals offensive linemen. I think you should be out there playing for the Bengals <laughs> as an offensive lineman. Um, but that said, I, I do want to ask you about something you mentioned, and that's the fact that they didn't play in preseason. Um, is that an indictment of um, sort of the system the way it is today, three preseason games where a lot of teams aren't playing some of the starters? Or is it more an indictment of uh, either a coaching staff? And I'm not singling them out either because I think Sean McVay does that in, in L.A. as well. Um, but of a coaching staff or administration that says, no, we're not going to roll these guys out until the regular season. I mean, I don't know. I agree with you. I don't know. I can expect them to be a cohesive unit if they haven't played together in a preseason game. Yeah, I don't know the exact number of teams that do it. I know Zach Taylor came from the Sean McVay system. So yep. the Rams do it. Now the Bengals do it. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I know there's still some teams. And I'm not saying you go out in camp and, and you know, pound the guys and, and wear them down and play them, you know, a half in the preseason game. Right. I'm not saying that, but I'm, I'm, I think you need a few snaps. I think it's just it's just the whole mentality of thinking injury, injury, injury. And, uh, you know, to me, it, it, when you think about injuries, it's going to happen. To me, injuries are part of the game. And, um, you know, not that I want guys going out there and getting hurt because I hate when guys get out. That's the one thing, the pet peeve. I mean, I just hate injuries. And we can't get around that because our bodies are just, you know, that way. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just the systems. I mean, certain people do it. Uh, and I think with the, the money they're paying and, uh, I mean, you got a franchise quarterback and then your yeah. backup is not, you know, you know, when I was playing, we had backups that were capable. That's right. Guys that were capable of going somewhere else and starting and doing well. And, and I don't know if you have that these days. And I think maybe that plays into it. Yeah, it's rare. I mean, I, I remember the 49ers when they had Joe Montana starting, Steve Young on the bench, and then yeah. Steve Bono behind him, you know, and they all ended up starting. Um, but, um, you, you know, it's funny because when you talk of injuries, the injury that I worry about most, obviously, is to the franchise player, and that's the quarterback. I saw something recently that should resonate with Cincinnati fans, and that's the last quarterback who was sacked 13 times in the first two games was David Carr, and he lasted 10 games that season. You just can't survive that kind of pounding, and Joe Burrow has escaped some of those sacks by just being a mobile and um, quarterback and get out of the pocket, but he's been hit a lot. I think 19 or 18 quarterback hits yeah. the, the 13 sacks he took 70 last year yeah. i just don't know how he survives that kind of punishment you're right you know and you hear people say well these guys are tough they're big and strong and i say it doesn't matter the quarterbacks how big and strong have you seen the guys on the other side of the line of scrimmage and how fast they're and how you can't take the hits and uh, you're right i mean it's something that uh, he cannot continue to take and uh, you see guys that are talented, and like I said, David Carr, you get hit, you get hit, and all of a sudden you don't last that yep. long. And, you know, I feel for him. And, and you made a great – I think you said sacks and hits. People just look at sacks. But, you know, when we were playing, when I was playing, we had charts up on the wall. We had a ratio. How many times can we throw the ball, be not before the quarterback gets sacked, but before he gets hit? Yeah. Sure, the sacks were there, but pressures and hits. I mean, they're still – he might not get sacked, but he's getting hit as soon as he releases the ball. To me, that's 
that's uh, that's as effective as a sack. You know, it's funny you mention that because I, I used to cover the 49ers in the late 90s, and George Seifert was the head coach there. And and we were talking about the um, 84 Super Bowl where they go up against Miami. Right. And um, he said, we went into that game talking about Dan Marino, and he said, I don't care if we sack him. We've got to hit him because yeah. no quarterback likes to be hit. Hit him every time you get near him because eventually – He's exactly. not going to like that. He'll go away. And we know what happened. They won big in that game. And, you know, and as a lineman, you're not saying, oh, good. He got the ball off. He didn't get set. You turn around, you go, oh, rats, man. He got hit again. And that that affects me as an offensive lineman just as much as, he, as if he gets actually he's still still taking the punishment. Anthony, I know you're very happy that Ken Riley is on the doorstep of Canton. He's not in yet, but I, <laughs> I got my arms open. <laughs> I want to ask you about a couple other Bengals, one you played with and one you watched in admiration. Um, Anthony, say some things about Ken Anderson as a quarterback when you entered the league and, and watching Willie Anderson at right tackle, Anthony, um, you know, week in, week out, doing, doing a great job without a lot of fanfare. Yes, first of all, number 14. So hopefully 13. And then you know, I I can't say enough great things about my number 14, Kenny Anderson. I mean, I played five years with him. Actually, four, then he was kind of boomers taking over the fifth. Great leader. One of the most accurate quarterbacks I've ever been around. Um, one of the smartest quarterbacks I've ever played with. I mean, I, I just look at his na- numbers in that era, and I'm amazed by what he did. Uh, I mean, I, I think we're playing Monday night one night. And he was like 20 of 21 at half, uh, but he was just so accurate. I mean, he always put the, the ball. I rarely saw him throw a bad pass, i.e. 59 below against the Chargers in the AFC championship game. No gloves, hands in the, in the pants, come to take the snap and then throw the ball he, the way he did. It, it was, I mean, I enjoyed watching tape on Monday because I couldn't see it on Sunday. Of course, I was trying to keep him clean. But watching the tape and just watching the job he did to do it for 16 years and to do it for in 78, 79, when they were four and 12, two years. And, and you talk about, you know, Joe Burrow getting hit, Kenny Anderson. I mean, I think the year 79, the year before I got here, he had sacked, I think, 70 times in the low 70s. And then Jim McNally, Forrest Gregg, and then we reached shuffle the line. I think we took it down in the 20s or something like that. But you know, it's uh, amazing. And Willie Anderson, of course, I was retired and I was in national broadcasting and I came home and did the Bengal preseason games and continue to watch. I mean, so big and strong and just dominating. You look at the guys he went against. I mean, there's a right tackle and the team wasn't very good in those years. I mean, again, we talked about Joe Thomas, um, you know, doing what he did with not very good teams. Willie Anderson continued to play at the, you know, the highest level, uh, not being on very good teams. Uh, so anytime... I had a chance to watch him. And I watched him a lot. I enjoyed watching him uh, as a right tackle because he was very dominating, very deserving. Anthony, um, I'm curious. What happened to you, and I can't get a handle on it, in, in the 91 playoffs, I think you opened with, with a big win against Houston. You waxed them pretty good. And, um, and then the second game uh, of which the Bengals were eliminated, you, you didn't play in that game. So – what, what happened to you in the Houston game? So week 14, um, we're out in L.A. If you remember, we played – I don't know if you remember, we played the Raiders in L.A. Tied in, blocked down, and I was hooked up with the guy, and the guy tripped me from behind. I actually tore my left rotator cuff in week 14. 
So I played the last two pre, uh, regular season games and the first playoff game with the torn rape rotator cuff. Uh, and it just it didn't come back for that Raiders game. I mean, I was so disappointed. Uh, I would play the game Monday. It felt like my arm was going to fall off. I would take a couple of days rest and I'd play the next game. I played the Houston game. Uh, the, it came back after that Houston game, you know, Monday, terrible Tuesday, then Wednesday started feeling a little, but Thursday and Friday, it just felt the same as it did Monday and Tuesday. So I couldn't lift my arm. I couldn't really move it. And I just felt it would, it would not be fair to the team if I went out there with one arm. So that's, the, that's what happened. And I, I hated it. I played two regular season games in a play. When you're in a playoff hunt, and, you know, some people say you're tough. I thought it was a little crazy to play with the torn rotator cuff. But my left torn, uh, rotator cuff, I actually tore it week 14. Anthony, I asked you about Ken Riley, but not specifically. Just saying that, you know, I think you're happy. And we saw you. We were, oh, yeah, on, a, yeah. we're on a Zoom well, call. I kind of extended. Yeah, you're, you're, you love Ken Riley. But if you were speaking to the Hall of Fame board, what would you tell them about Ken Riley? Because the question that's going to come up and that always comes up is, wait a second, the guy on the other side, Lamar Parrish, I mean, he was what, an eight-time Pro Bowler? Uh, he was a five-time All-Pro? Ken Riley wasn't even chosen to a Pro Bowl. And so that's going to come up. And I think the, 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 the number that does resonate with people is 65 interceptions. I mean, we just put Charles Woodson, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Famer, 65 interceptions, tied with Ken Riley. Right. But the question that's going to come up is, Riley Lamar Parrish, what, what do we have here? How would you answer that? So I can use that with an, another, another analogy. I made 11 Pro Bowls. My right guard made four, Max Montoya. Um, you talk to some of the Pro Football Hall of Fame guards, and they'll tell you that Max Montoya is one of the best guards that ever played the game. And I agree with them. I played 10 years with Max. And I think that's, that's what happened with Max. I was on the left side. He was on the right. Uh, and I think with Lamar Parrish and, and Kenny Riley, and I think you talk to guys that played against Kenny Riley. I mean, how can you have 65 career interceptions and not be a pro bowler? I mean, that to me, that just blows me away because I was around him to see his work ethic and to see how great a cornerback he was yeah. and how he shut people down and to not have a pro bowl, man, that to me that I know a lot of weight is put on that, but how can you do that without being a pro bowl? And I think that's what happened. Lamar Paris, Kenny Riley and Lamar, I mean, eight pro bowls was a great player, you know, look at him being in the hall of fame, you know, as a fan, but uh, that's what I would say to the board. I mean, it, it's like, how can he not when he when he did such a great job and it was such a great leader and he wasn't he wasn't the the, the you know rah rah and, you know he look at me number thirteen and he just went out every day at practice got the job done and then did the job in the game. Yeah, it boggles my mind too. And I'll tell you something else that puzzles me, is that you were a star in, in another sport and I didn't know that <laughs> until I was reminded that back in 1978 when you were at USC star football player, but you were also on the baseball team and you pitched right. for the baseball team. But this wasn't just the USC baseball team. This was the national championship team that had four pitchers who had an NCAA record, 11 victories yeah. each. And they had a 2.63 ERA. I know you know that because yeah. you always look up history, but yeah. this was an NCAA championship team with Anthony Munoz on the mound. So, Anthony, we are 
starter? Were you a reliever? Were you any good? You had to be good to be on that team. Baseball is my first love. I started playing baseball at the age of seven. Uh, I was going to be a major league baseball player and just things worked out. You know, God gave me a lot of talent in baseball. I was a third baseman, went into high school. I was three-time All-State at at third base, two-time in football. Uh, So even in, you know, there's a lot of baseball scouts there all the time at my games until I signed at USC. Well, the whole recruiting pitch and SC had a track record. Come here to play football. We'll let you play baseball. By that time, 6'6", 300 pounds. You know, I was going to play football. You know, that's how my scholarship was going to, my schooling was going to be paid for. So a lot of other schools started saying that. But USC, now you look at their uh, their their alumni, and I mean, it's pretty impressive uh, back then. Yeah. So I decided, decided to go there, and John Robinson was my coach. He said, you can play baseball. Rod Dato was the, the head baseball coach. They both showed up to my house on signing date when the coaches could come up, and I was at cloud nine. So the, the crazy thing about it is I only played one year. It was my sophomore year in school, but my freshman year of baseball. Because a lot of people don't realize I went through three knee operations in four years at USC. Freshman year, junior, and senior. And my sophomore year was the one healthy football season. Played baseball. And I had to get my arm into shape. I played a little first base, DH a little bit before it got into shape. So I enjoyed hitting a little bit. Once my arm got into shape, I was a fungo hitter for the right field. <laughs> no, no longer a bat. But, you know, I got to pitch like 11 innings, which, like you mentioned, that staff. Oh, my goodness. We had an amazing staff. I think just about every starter got drafted that year. You know, we beat Arizona State twice in the World Series. And they had Rob Horner, who went on to be the rookie of the year, 30 home runs. Hubie Brooks, New York yep. Mets. Chris Bando, Sal Bando's brother, was catcher. Uh, so they were loaded. I mean, I enjoyed the ride. I thought I was going to get a chance to pitch at least one inning in the series. Uh, we had Michigan down eight zip in the top of the first. So Rod Dato did start the starter, and he went through the staff and pitched everybody a half an inning. Myself and another freshman year, we ran out of innings, but we did get to warm up in the bullpen. Uh, I pitched, you know, like 11 innings. I was 1-0. and I got a win in Texas. Uh, so I was undefeated. Uh, so it was fun. Got a national championship ring and established some great relationships. Well, you're all state third base, right? At California, all state third base. How I did was. the third baseman go to the pitcher's mound? And, 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 and also, are you disappointed or did you ever have any second thoughts about not pursuing that baseball career? Well, I was, a th- I should say third base was my primary position, but I, pl- I pitched a lot mm-hmm. too. I looked at myself as a third baseman, but then when I got to college, uh, they, they looked at me as a pitcher. So they, they wanted me to pitch. But yeah, I played third base from the age of seven all the way through my senior high school. And uh, you said you didn't become a baseball player. I mean, obviously, you had great success in football. But if your childhood dream was to play on a baseball team, I don't know if I had. I don't know if I had the talent to go beyond college. But uh, I'll never know. But uh, I think it. Uh, you know, I saw football as being my way and got that chance. But I mean, I'm still a big baseball fan now. Uh, I don't watch as much of the regular season, but. I know the last several, I've watched every World Series game play. I mean, I love just the, and, you know, people say, that's ah, boring. There's no runs. I'm like, I love it because I love to watch yeah. pitchers pitch. I love how they work. And now, of course, they're 95 to 100 consistently. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> Anthony, two, two more for me, Anthony. Thanks so much for your time, buddy. Anthony, there, there's, a, there's a player, a defensive and outside linebacker type. His name comes up a lot on this show. Clark and I talk about him. Anthony, you played him a couple of times. He doesn't get any traction from Canton. Zero. Um, I'm talking about Leslie O'Neill. Anthony, I think you played him two or three times. You watched him play. Um, How good a player was Leslie O'Neill, Anthony? I think I just just had him once. 
Um, he, I thought he was pretty good. I mean, very, very good. I saw him more as a defensive end. Uh, I mean, he was he was up there as far as the guys I played. I mean, you know, against the left tackle, you know, I mean, the guys I played against, I think most of them were in the Hall of Fame. You know, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Leslie was an excellent player. Again, I didn't see him a lot. I played against him one. The one time I played him, I thought he was really, really, really good. Anthony, last one for me. Uh, and this one's a home question. Uh, and I could just see Clark Winston. <laughs> Anthony, I'm, I'm here in Tampa. I watch this guy every game. He, he's in his third year. I can't believe how good he is. The kid's like 23 years old. I think he might be the best tackle in football. I don't care what side you want to pick. Anthony, this guy, Tristan Wirfs, is the real deal. Uh, have you watched him much? I have not watched him much. But I'll tell you one thing. Um, I mean, I hear a lot of great things about him. Of course, watch him probably a couple times, two, three times. Uh, yeah, it's and I'm always watching, you know, these young guys. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Panay was, you know, really highly touted. Uh, so I, I need to watch him more. I would really do an evaluation on him. You know, of course, you know, Joe Thomas, I watched a whole lot. I'll tell you one kid that, I mean, <laughs> amazing. Uh, you know, I think there's argument for, you know, two or three, as you say, best in the league. But this kid out in San Diego from Northwestern, their left tackle. Oh, my goodness. Um, his name's slipping me right now. Slater? Um, Slater? Yes, Slater. I've watched him several times, and I'm just like, whoa. whoa. Uh, very impressive. But I have to, I have to watch Tristan here to, to, you know, watch him a lot more. Of course, you know, when I watch the Buccaneers, you know, I don't watch the linemen as much as uh, I should. I watch, you know, I watch, I think they have this one number two guy that I, I'm a big fan. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Anthony, when he was talking about Tampa Bay and he said, well, this guy's been here three years ago. It's another Brady question. And then he goes, he's 23. I went, oh, no, not a Brady no, not Brady. Not a Brady question. <laughs> um, I've got one last one. I'm going back to baseball because you All said right. you love baseball so much. I lived in New York for a long time. I now live in Connecticut. So it's sort of, it's we're within uh, shouting distance of New York. Yeah. And I follow the Yankees. And, and there's a debate going on on Otani versus Judge versus the MVP. And I'll be honest with you, I'm predisposed and uh, I'm, I'm not the most unbiased acknowledger here, but um, I look at this thing and go, there can't be a debate. This guy could win the triple crown. He's hit 60 home runs. How can there be a debate? You are there in Cincinnati, so you're detached. You see both players going on. But um, what's your feeling about the AL MVP, Judge versus Otani? You know what? Anytime you're right there in the, the you know brink of winning a triple, I don't see. I agree with you. I mean, the guy's amazing. Getting ready to hit. What did he just hit? What is he at now? I, I, 60. Yeah, hit he, 60. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it's like, come on. You're gonna, if he wins a triple crown, if he's close, he's got to be the MVP. I mean, you know. Plus, he's kept that team afloat. I mean, yeah. he's got guys around who can't hit. He's the yeah. one guy who's been consistent. Yeah. So, I, yeah, see what happens there. And uh, the guy's amazing. You know, I, I love those guys, you know, like a Dave Winfield got drafted. Yeah, that's right. You know, he could, I mean, I'm sure he, Judge could have played football. He, you know, we might be talking about, you know, one of the best left tackles in the NFL, <laughs> Aaron Judge. You, know, you never know. <laughs> kind of like we might have been talking about you as one of the great pitchers in Major League Baseball, Anthony Munoz. Anthony... Nice to be up there, you know, like a Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver. Oh, yeah. 
that Munoz, you know, he, <laughs> I think that's why Rod Data let me play so that nobody would charge the mound against my pitches. <laughs> <laughs> he was a smart man. So six, six, you chose pitching on the you know USC baseball team. <laughs> Anthony, thank you so much for the time. Really enjoyed it. Good luck with the job. And uh, if you if you need a recommendation for the left tackle position with the Bengals, Iron I'll give it for you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, hey, great being with you guys. Really enjoyed it. Take appreciate care. it, Anthony. Great Take day. care. All right. Take that was care. Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz. And I, I love talking to him. <laughs> I love talking baseball with him. But he's right about Joe Burrow. He can't survive if you don't mend that offensive line. And, and they need a lot of work. They need a lot of work in a hurry. You know, oh, two start clock. You know the numbers. It's like 11% of the teams make the playoffs. Oh, I right. think they'll turn it around. I think they're. I think they got enough talent, um, but he's got to get some time to throw. Now, Clark Brady's had pretty good protection. Uh, we let our producer Ian Blendon weigh in on this. He's watched the Bucks. I think Ian. I think the protection's been pretty good with that revamped uh, O line. Yeah, I mean they're they're making it work. You know, backup center, uh, third string left tackle by the end of last game. Um, I you know obviously I think. Brady has a lot to do with that. I mean, uh, great quarterbacks really help out a lot of the offensive line. But I've been impressed. And to your point, Tristan Wirfs is a, is a very big man over there, and he does a lot of great things. So, hey, What do you guys think about the addition of Cole Beasley? I think that's a perfect guy for them. And Ian, just to speak to you because you've got a Patriots background, to me he's the Julian Edelman waiting to happen, right? I mean, he's a possession receiver. I think he's a great addition for them if that's who he is. Smart smart move by Tom Brady, the quarterback slash general manager, Clark. Very smart move. What what Brady wants, Brady gets, Clark. He, he probably called Edelman first and got turned down. Yeah, apparently what he wants is what he gets. It's kind of like you are, what you want. That's what you get, right? That's what your wife told me. Because I want to know what your final thoughts are about life in general or the Bucks in particular. Well, I've been very impressed, Clark, with the way this NFL season is, is starting. Um, I think one of the big stories, Clark, you tell me, don't sleep on the 49ers. Don't right. sleep on the 49ers. Now, I feel bad for Trey Lance, as you do. Um, but in terms of football, Clark, this isn't going to hurt them one bit. They got a heck of a defense. They got Debo Samuel. That team is very dangerous in my eyes. I agree with you, and I think they're the team to beat in that division, not the defending Super Bowl champions. I think, honestly, it makes them a better team. No disrespect to Trey Lance, but he's raw. Jimmy G's not raw. You've been to the Super Bowl with him. You've been to a conference championship game with him. You know what he can do. What he does is win. That's all he does is win. I want to mention one thing to you, and, and Ian, I don't know who would remember this guy, but you certainly would. Maury Wills. Maury Wills passed away this week at the age of 89. I remember him growing up, terrific shortstop, but um, what I remember most about, of course, was he stole bases. You couldn't keep him off the, the, the bases, and when he did, he had a second, third, he, and, and I looked him up, and uh, he, he had 281. Six times he led the league in stolen bases, I including a hundred and four in nineteen sixty-two. Guys don't even get half that many today. Seven-time All-Star, three-time World Series champ, and nineteen sixty-two National League MVP. Ira, why is he not at Cooperstown? I think you could make a very, very strong case for Maury Wills Clark. Now, look, I'm a Giants fan. Grew up in the sixties. Hated yep. the Dodgers. Uh, you know the Dodgers, Clark, with Koufax, Drysdale, Osteen. They 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 had a a pop gun attack. The Giants, right. had, the Giants had Mays, McCovey, Cepeda. They'd bludgeon you to death. But the Dodgers would win two to one, Clark. That's right. And, and they scored the two runs with a bunch of single from Wills. 
He stole second. He moved to third on a ground to, the, to second base, and he scored on a sacrifice fly. That was Maury Wills, very heady player. He was the precursor, Clark, I think, to Luke Brock and, and Ricky Henderson in that regard. Yeah, that's right. He was. And, and my favorite player was on that team, the first baseman. Do you remember who he was? Wes Parker, my friend. Yes, sir. Wes Parker. Loved Wes Parker. And I actually made a T-shirt of Wes Parker's after it was a facsimile of the Dodgers with a magic market award to uh, the gym class. And the gym teacher said, hey, Wes, come on over here. Wes, do this. And my name's Park. Wes, get over there. Okay, Wes Parker. A lot of people don't remember. He had a fantastic glove. He was a great first baseman. He was a great first baseman. Ian, you remember Wes Parker? I do not. (laughs) A little before my time. Although although my wisdom may date me a little bit, uh, that was before my time a bit. Yeah, that was a terrific Dodgers team. Anyway, that's going to do it for today. If you like to hear this or any I Test for Two podcast, just go to our website, our, our website that was put together by Ian Glendon, itestfor2.com. And if you don't go there, just go to fullpresscoverage.com, and we're right there. Actually, we're right there, both of them. Otherwise, well, you can join Ira and me right here on the I Test for Two next week. See you then. <laughs>